I'd like to add my warm welcome to you all, particularly the preschool families. It's been great getting to know you over the year, um, serving coffees and getting to know your kids and doing little puppet shows and the type of thing. It has been a great delight. I wonder what type of Christmas traditions you have in your household. Uh, One silly little practice, I'm a little embarrassed to say, has kind of crept into our family over the last few years. And it's got to do with this. It's the elf. Now, I have a feeling it could have been my Georgie who started this. Uh, Those who know Georgie can kind of understand. But uh, this little elf appears regularly in different places over the Christmas season. So you might be in your car, you pull down your sun visor, and all of a sudden out drops the elf. Or, well, if that happens to you, then you get the great joy trying to surprise someone else. You might put it underneath the pillow, you might, all sorts of different things. But I've heard that this is a real thing, that in young kids at the moment, my wife has a year one class, There is the elf on the shelf. And so the kids are all the time... I'm seeing some nods here. Thank you, parents. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has heard about this. But there are these elves that supposedly sit on shelves looking all the time just in case you don't do good. And they'll report back to Santa. Now, I'm not sure where they've got mobile phones or what's going on there. But the elf on the shelf kind of sits there and the kids are all the time looking around. Elf on the shelf and that type of thing. I think that's how it works. Of course, we wouldn't be sucked into those things at all, would we? You know, those fairy tales and myths and Santas and all that type of thing. Uh, We wouldn't be sucked into that. Did you hear our Bible reading this morning? In today's reading, we heard of an angel speaking, of a virgin conception, of barren women falling pregnant in their old age, of a divine son of God being born. Are these make-believe fairy stories just there to change our behaviour, so that we might be not naughty, but nice? Or is there something else going on here? Something that's personal. There's something that is real. As Mickey said, we're looking at a little series in a book written by Luke many, many years ago. And he wants us to be really assured right at the very beginning of a book that what he's writing about, he looked in very, very carefully. Well, let me read what he wrote. At the very beginning of the book of Luke, we hear these words, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke 
wants to make it very clear that what he's writing, he investigated, he got the eyewitnesses. He wants you to have great certainty that there is truth. That it's not made up. That it's not fairy tales. But there is something deeply significant going on. But isn't that just such a different message of our culture at the moment? You go out there anywhere and our culture is very much where we just rip God off. We don't want the transcendent, the the God, the angels, the, the divine. There is none of that. We've ripped that off. There is only what we see here. There was a show called Under the Dome. It was a number of years ago, back in 2014, I think it first came out. Um, I see a nod over there, thank you. I, it, I think the first season was all right. I didn't watch any of it, okay? I've heard this. The first season was okay, but the second season was appalling. Uh, not a great recommendation. But I find the concept fascinating. Under the dome has this, this dome that all of a sudden just comes over a city. And they're trapped within this dome. They cannot get out. They cannot communicate out. There is nothing beyond their dome. That is it. And so they try and work out, well, how do we live in the dome? How do we survive in the dome? How do we get through the dome? How do we... And it's just all about what's here. We live in a world at the moment that is under the dome. There is no God. There is no divine just fairy tales. What's the result of this? Maybe there's more freedom, more prosperity, more agency. But what about the problems? The highest suicide rates in the world, crippling anxiety, listlessness, listless purposelessness. We're not made to make our own meaning. We're made to be a something, a part of something that is bigger, something cosmic. I was only at a funeral just a couple of weeks ago of a Christian man, a man who was actually an Anglican minister. Uh, there was an Anglican minister taking and I was a part of the service as well. And at the end of the service, there were these two men. I overheard their conversation and they were absolutely gobsmacked that Christianity should be brought and they should be, uh, they should be there to listen to that type of thing. Resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Life beyond the grave. For our world, Christians are a bunch of uneducated, anti-scientific, and as Peter Fitzsimmons would say in the Sydney Morning Herald, an annoying cluster of flies. Christians believe that God has broken through the dome. We believe that he has revealed himself. He has spoken. But more than that, he actually plays a part. He himself comes in to that dome. The Bible claims it's not just something that we can know about a God, but that we can know God. 
and be in a relationship with him. So let's take a moment just to walk through this passage. I could give you lots of arguments of kind of the existence of God and all those type of things. But I want to invite you into the story. Because it's there that there is great power of those who are able to experience, uh, who experience that in the midst of this story. So let's take a few moments just to step through this story. If you've got a Bible, you might like to open it up. But the story starts with the angel Gabriel breaking into humanity. He's been sent by God and uh, from God with a message from him. It's a message for a virgin. Uh, Have a look there in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is not the first time we've come across Gabriel, this breaking in of God with his message. If you were here last week, we heard of how Gabriel came to Zechariah in the temple. Uh, Zechariah was a priest serving there. And here we see God breaking in with this story. Zechariah is told that even in his old age and his wife being barren, they would have a child, John. And this child, John, would be great before the Lord. That this son, John, would be part of something new that God was preparing a people for something that was... Well, let's read on. Let's find out what God has planned. We're given the name of the details that, that, that the Gabriel comes and meets. Her name is Mary, she's a virgin, and she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, betrothal back then was fairly significant. I guess it's a bit like the engagement process, but much stronger. Uh, That is, if you were betrothed, uh, to break off your engagement was, well, it was like you would need to have a divorce. It was very significant. A bride price would be paid, all those type of things. But there would be no sexual union between the two until the official solemn declaration. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. But did you notice the little detail that is given us there? Joseph was from the house of David. Keep that in the back of your mind as we read on. Gabriel greets Mary and declares she's a recipient of God's favour and assured of his presence. Looking there in verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. As we read on in the next little bit here, it's obvious he's trying to work out what's going on here. An angel arriving saying that God would be with her, uh, that she was favoured. She's pondering these things, but you can tell that there is some fear there. Because the next words of the angels are these. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call him his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord, the God, will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. In this passage here, we're told of this baby that would be born to her. This baby would be called Jesus. If you go to other gospel accounts, it's actually explained that this word Jesus means uh, the Lord saves. It's talking about salvation and saves here. We don't get that explanation here, but what we do get is what this child will be and where he's come from. Have a look there. He will be great. This child will be great. Uh, Look at some of the ways that this has opened up for us. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. There is some type of special relationship between this child and God the Father himself. More than that, We get there that he is given the throne of David. Now, for those who know their Bibles, uh, King David was uh, a great king. He kind of established Israel and things were going well and he decides he's going to build a house for God, a temple, a glorious great building for God. And Nathan the prophet comes up to him with a promise from God. Let me read it for you from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lay down with your fathers, this is talking to David, Nathan speaking, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom, they shall be made sure for, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, 1,000 years before Jesus, is given a great promise that in his line, in his family line, would come a king that would establish a kingdom that would last forever, that would restore things, would bring salvation and peace. As we go through the rest of the Bible, we see this picture of the great Messiah, this great King opened up for us. And we heard some of those words from Isaiah 9, that a child would be given. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, that he would bring peace and justice. This is the great promise God gives King David. And Israel and God's people and the world are longing for that moment, that great breaking moment. We're told here that this baby, this baby inside Mary would be that one. That this baby would be... Uh, reign over the house of Jacob, over Israel itself, Israel's great king in a kingdom that would never end. Here we see the divine coming in and breaking in to our world. The son of the most high, bringing about the king from a line of kings. 
so overwhelmed by this grand picture, Mary utters the first words from her mouth. How will this be since I am a virgin? Don't doubt for the moment she's not doubting the announcement. It's not a question of, I don't believe you can do this. It's a question of, how can this happen? She hasn't had any sexual relations. How, how can she be pregnant? The angel bre- reply is breathtaking. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is an awesome statement about Jesus. Gabriel clarifies for Mary how the baby will be both human and yet the Son of God. God's Holy Spirit will overcome you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. These are the words that echo the very beginning of the Bible, where God's Spirit hovers over the creations, the heavens and the earth. Here is the Creator gone the one who spoke and created. Is anything too difficult for this God? The references here are beautifully written. They're not sexual, but here is a picture of God talking about creating life without the act of a sexual act. This is a virgin conception for Mary. The creator God who creates out of nothing. The God who creates humans out of dust. Luke had no doubt about it. And he was absolutely careful in his research, as we heard before. But the words are significant, aren't they? The child produced by divine conception is holy. That is, it is set apart. It is the Son of God, this, this picture of this link between God and this child. Notice here the emphasis is not on Mary, but on the baby. It points to this baby picking up this Davidic hope, this great hope of eternity, of a kingdom that would last, of no more pain or crying or tears. Well, just as this encounter comes to a close, nothing like this has ever occurred before. At the dawning of a new age, so significant was this, that unasked for the angel gave Mary a sign that she might have utter confidence that it would happen. The angel says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has called um, barren. For nothing is impossible with God. A sign is given. Well, Mary's response in the final verse is a model response. That of humility and obedience. Look there in verse 38. And then Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She was unmarried. She had no idea how Joseph would react to this, to the news of her pregnancy. There was embarrassment. There was all sorts of things that could go on. But she responds to God's message 
of grace. At this point, Gabriel's job is done and he departs and the scene closes. Friends, it seems to me there are three things, three things that are significant from this for us. The first is that God's word is very great. We live in a world where we want to say there is no divine. But here in the midst of this story, we see the divine breaking in. An angel declaring good news of a king that would come, that would be born. The angel says nothing is impossible with God. This speaks into our everyday lives, makes sense of our world. It enables us to experience God in repentance and faith. It enables us to encounter the personal God. But note here that God's word is centred on Jesus, this baby, which brings me to my second point. Jesus is a very great saviour. It's interesting as you look through the two stories, the one from last week and this week, there are so many similarities. Two women, two births, two children, two sons. But as you look at the contrast, you see how great this man Jesus is. He is our great saviour. The one who would reign over Israel. The one who would bring about the Davidic throne. The one who would bring about all God's promises of renewal. The God who would bring about his great rescue and bring us into his kingdom. Here is hope. Mary is given a glimpse of it. And we are too as we read these words. A friend of mine who's doing her PhD in the area of hope has asked a whole lot of young people under 25, what are they most hopeful for in the future? And one of the most common responses is that things won't get worse. Here is hope. Here is God stepping in to our world and providing hope. The final thing is Mary's great response. In this drama stands Mary, God's listening, humble, willing servant who comes to see that God has the power to bring about all that is to pass. She takes God seriously no matter what the cost. Mary listens and is a model for us. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. As I finish up, I want to tell you the story of a young lady that I met this week. I had the great privilege of speaking at Winona. Uh, they have a group called the Renaissance Women and they hear lots of different speakers talking about all sorts of different things. It was a brilliant meeting. There was singing, there was dancing. Uh, they were great. It was, it was fantastic. And I had the opportunity to share what Christmas was about for Christians. I was able to talk about the God who stepped into our world, of that humble birth that would bring about a very great salvation. One of the girls came up to me after all had left and she said, I'm a Christian. I believe, but none of my family do. We're going overseas. What should a Christian do when, when, as a Christian? My words were to her, 
keep listening to God. Read the stories again. God has spoken into our world. He has spoken powerfully into people's lives. Keep hearing from this great God who calls us into his kingdom. Let me pray that we might have ears to hear what he is saying. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that speaks. We pray that this Christmas that we might hear clearly of the way that you broke in uh, into our world, that we might be in a relationship with you. We pray, Father, that we might see how very great Jesus is, that we might know that you are a God who is personal and that we might respond aright. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to